Hey, everybody. I'm Kelly Ellers. I'm Jeffrey London. And this is Volume Up by The Tease. So, Jeffrey, I'm on day three of a five-day mimicking fast cleanse. My girlfriend's convinced me to do it. The, mm-hmm. the game was, let's all start on Sunday, okay? Uh-huh. So you get the box. It's called Prolon. It's like really a good, like all the influencers I'm influenced by, right? Okay, okay. so. Yep, obviously. I get the box. I said, hey, everybody, I started. My other friend took a picture of a bottle of champagne. And the other one took a picture with bacon and said, can't start today. <laughs> so they're a day behind me in their misery. I am on day three. So there you go. Now, Kelly, mm-hmm. is this a you get to eat something in yes. addition to this? So you, you can eat. What is so, the eating? No, the eating, the, the packets come to you. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like today, for example, it was a tiny little bar and tea. And then it's a soup in a packet that's dry that you make. And then a mm-hmm. tiny packet of about six olives. Then again, the packet of soup at night. So I've been going to bed very early. <laughs> mm, that's tough. It's not for the Is, weak of heart. Mm-hmm. No, it, <laughs> it doesn't sound like it's for me, basically. Uh, that's, and that's no coffee, fine. no I'm, coffee. So no caffeine. No so you're done. You're like out. Oh, yeah. No, I'm. Yeah. it's a wrap. I mean, I would probably do. I could do a juice cleanse if I could also caffeinate. Coffee. No, the there's. <laughs> so all last night I was like, my head. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, coffee withdrawals, which like that, that's yeah. some real stuff. Um, well, I'm proud of you. Good Thank for you. I mean, three mm-hmm. days, you're over the worst of it, question yes. mark, or you're yes. in the worst of it. I might Either be way. in the deep, but in a couple hours, I'll be over. <laughs> in a couple hours, you'll be asleep. Um, <laughs> yes. You know, we are rooting for you here Thank on you. Volume Up. Thank you. I'm going to need it. So as a hard pivot from high fasting, if you liked our interview with Josh O'Mara Patel, barber, educator, and salon owner, make sure to hit subscribe, rate and review, and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and TikTok at Read the Tease and send in questions to volume up at thetease.com. On today's episode, I spoke with Mike Vandenabel, Florida salon owner who has a non-traditional finance model with some great insights for other salon owners. You guys are not going to want to miss this one. Cool. I like that. A non-traditional finance model? I mean, that's, I'm interested. Let's hear it. So, (laughs) (laughs) but before we get there, we've got so much to talk about to get us started. So what's been on your mind? Like, what are you seeing in the news? What bones do you have to pick? Anything? Lots of vaccine talk. People are getting vaccinated, which is exciting. I think it's all something about like 52% of adults in California have been vaccinated at least one dose, which yay, yay, looking forward to hot girl summer. Yeah. (laughs) You're going to be busting those Crocs out going everywhere you can in LA. Walk in, walk in, walk into my car and back. Yeah, no. Um, Real talk, we are trying to get out. We bought tickets to Disneyland for my daughter's second birthday. Amazing. Last year. Oh, They kept sliding those dates on when we could use them, whatever, whatever. Now they are saying you can reschedule. And so now we're we're trying to get into that. So I'm trying to get to Anaheim this summer. All right. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, but uh, serious things are happening, though. Uh, so vaccine rollout is yep. happening. Uh, there's a verdict that we are expecting. We record this pre-Derek Chauvin trial Ooh. verdict, so that we're just going to put that out there. 
Uh, wow. World could have changed in a big Indeed. way since we've recorded. Um, so that's sort of out there in the ether too. But there's plenty of other things that are happening that are yeah. sort of ranging in seriousness. What are you sort of seeing in the news this week? Uh, so I'm going to take us back to Salon Pro. So did you see it's kind of popping up everywhere? Um, the father angry after a teacher cuts his biracial daughter's hair. Crazy. I mean, WGA. that is how does that even how does that how does it happen? continue to happen? I mean, like this is not right. the first story. It's just what, one of many, unfortunately. It's insane. What would you, what as an educator or just a natural human out on the streets? <laughs> in it like like you feel so entitled to just chip, come up. I mean, it's ridiculous and he should cause a fight and bring this to everyone's newsfeed because crazy, right? Oh yeah. Absolutely. Our editorial team has been hard at work this week, just like every week, uncovering industry news, diving into brands that you don't know, but you should. And here are some of our favorite headlines from the tease.com this week. Kelly, what is first up for you? First up and up there for many years is the shag is back, baby. I like it. I like the choppy layers. I like the fuller crown and I like a lot of texture and volume. So you know what? I'm going to resort back to, I don't know, 97, 98. Mm. Mm. Um, and I'm going to go full shag again. I, I I don't know if I can commit to it, right? I'm, I'm middle-aged. You, you certainly, you certainly could, and maybe even better, like no time like the present to experiment with your look. I feel like what's interesting is you have so quickly embraced the shag, but really Mm -hmm. did not care for the mullet whatsoever. And really Mm -mm. some of the shag cuts that are trending are just, just a step away from a mullet. They're, Um, they're the brother and sister of the mullet. It sounds like you're okay with it maybe being the cut of 2021, whereas the mullet, not so much. Okay. Well, well yeah, what dig if into you, the... What if you moved my opinion? What if you influenced me to, to like be a mullet fan by the end of 2021? Like, do you think it could happen? I mean, I think if the right person <laughs> had a mullet that you really took to, it mm-hmm. could be, you know, a world... Of, I, I don't think okay. I'm going to be the deciding factor here. Okay. Um, maybe mm-hmm. if I grew my hair out a little bit longer and I got one, you could see on a real person that, but you know, I would actually really like to see that on you, but you've got to start growing now. I know. I know. I was thinking maybe so I just short. like let it grow down here oh, slowly and like, okay. a, but we'll, we'll see. It's, you know, I've been influenced by the tease editors. So the mullet, <laughs> it might be right here on the Maybe next right episode. there okay so this is you know a handful of days past news but the academy of country music awards i mean they were slaying it right i loved the glam moments that our editors wrote about extension game we can say extensions because we know y'all those were extensions okay but they were on mm-hmm. point from Marin morris to carrie underwood um the locks were flowing the bold lip the defined brows which i'm a fan of we got it they were here for it, was good. it and country yeah country fabulous. came and showed up so we're they all did. about it yeah. they showed up Get... in full force full force we <laughs> love to see it award season's not over yet damn no, it no it's not <laughs> uh, something that i'm really intrigued by again i don't have a lot of hair but that doesn't mm-hmm. mean that i'm not into hair product one of the stories on the tees.com is the six hair perfumes that keep your hair smelling good all day long that you should check out mm-hmm. because right. hair perfumes are having an absolute moment. 
They are. And you know what? I have one right here. I just have one right. This is, this is not planned, but I love the Orbe one. Um, hair refresher. It smells amazing. So, you know, check it out and everything else that our tease editors have to say about hair perfumes. Absolutely. Now we're going to be out and about. People can smell our hair. Right? <laughs> so invest. Now is the time. Add to cart. Yes. Get in Add there. To cart. Mm-hmm. One last article on the tease.com that is incredibly important. Uh, we talked a lot about what is happening in the world. Some crazy times. Um, the Asian American and Pacific Islander community in particular has been hard hit with racist and hate crimes, racist attacks and hate crimes. Uh, so we got to show that community some, some support. Um, on the tease.com, we have a list of the, the seven Asian American and Pacific Islander makeup artists that you need to go and follow. Cool. Uh, so you should get on that. Check those folks out immediately. They're incredibly talented. And then follow, 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 follow times seven. Love it. I'm with you. As always, as proof today, there's so much going on at thetease.com. Thank you to our hardworking editors. We're proud to publish the stories that salon pros and consumers care about. Next up, our interview with Mike Vandenabel. Mike Vandenabel is the stylist and multi-location salon owner in Florida. He has owned his salons with his wife for over 10 years. They opened their second salon during COVID-19 and are working on opening their third. Mike's management and business philosophy is unique and has allowed his team to expand exponentially during a difficult time. You've worked behind the chair for 21 years. What was your journey to the professional beauty space like? How did you get there? I actually, I kind of fell into it briefly. I was working as a maitre d' sommelier at a really high-end restaurant, which was actually a perfect primer for the beauty industry. And I was really kind of tired of the restaurant lifestyle. Uh, there's, you know, you're definitely working. You're working all the time and you're working when your friends are off. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was really getting kind of over it. And I had a girlfriend at the time that was going to beauty school. Actually, she was becoming an a esthetician. And because of my hours, I used to bring her lunch all the time. And, you know, the teacher, the owner of the school knew that I could pay the tuition. So she didn't have any kind of grants or whatnot, government assistance. So she knew I could pay the tuition. She literally just kind of talked me into it. Um, but I was open to it, though. I, I really was. I had taken one of those personality profile tests. And all throughout my early 20s, I had done several different kind of jobs and careers. I tried different tracks. I dropped out of college, you know, really not, not really knowing what I wanted to do, but I tried a bunch of different things. And I took this personality profile test and it said I needed to work with my hands. I needed to work with people and with clients and it needed to be on a short enough uh, time span because apparently I have ADD or attention deficit disorder. And so, you know, I can see a client in an hour or two and then we had a great conversation and then we're on to the next one. So I literally just signed up one day. Uh, It was one of those fluke decisions Right off the bat, once we got into it, I, I knew I was going to love it. So what do you like most about hair? I mean, I feel like this is such an interesting question. Everybody comes at it from a different angle. But 21 years behind the chair, that doesn't happen for, for nothing. I mean, you stuck around. So what do, you, what do you like about the industry? What do you like about working with clients? Tell us about that. You know, as, as our business has grown, I will, I've always committed to my clients. Is I will always work one or two days behind the chair because I simply love the craft of hairdressing. I love the cutting, the coloring, the interaction with the guest, 
Uh, I love it all. I, I really have a, a deep passion for it. I love learning. I love that even after 21 years, new techniques come out or techniques get reinvented or reinterpreted. And all of a sudden, it's a different look. I love that constant change in, in it that, that, you can, that you can grow, that there's, there's so many avenues in hair and in the beauty industry, uh, in the salon world that people can go with. So it literally ticks off a lot of my boxes. Um, so I still absolutely love doing hair, even though now I do it on a very limited basis. And really my other side of, of me is, you know, the entrepreneurial side has really taken that, taken over. So talk to us about that. I mean, what is it like to not only own one space, but two and now three? How did that happen? I mean, from yeah. stylists to salon owners, a big jump. What did that look like? It is a big jump. And I'm glad it was actually, I'm glad it was, uh, it was a slow but methodical process. Uh, not really, I didn't mean, I, we didn't intend it to be that way. You know, my wife and I bought our, you know, she's a hairdresser as well. And, you know, her and I, when we first, the first house we bought, we, we were walking the neighborhood one time and there was this little old building with a, and I had a little sign in it, and it was Richard's Hair World. It was an old gentleman. He did it was it was perms, it was roller sets, and he was on his, his tail end of his career. And one day, you know, we had always thought that would make the cutest little salon this building. And one day he was out there sweeping the steps, and I approached him. I introduced myself. I said, you know, my wife and I we're hairdressers here as well. If you're ever interested in selling your building. Uh, I would love to start that conversation. And, you know, a year and a half later, we bought that building from him and we kind of just got going. And so the first several years was just basically my wife and I, a couple of assistants. Um, so not really much more than that. And then we decided we were, had the opportunity to buy the building next door to that one as well, uh, which was a larger space. And we started, you know, renovating that and the, then we just had to start hiring. And we made a decision early on that we needed that because of the capital investment in, in actually purchasing the building and because I really wanted to test my entrepreneurial side, uh, come from a family of entrepreneurs. I really wanted to be, you know, the buck stops here and I wanted to be a commission salon. You know, so we started uh, hiring, started having some fantastic employees, um, you know, Almost all those employees initially are still with us. I've uh, had very little loss on employee loss, and we've all just grown. Uh, you know, we've really just kind of cultivated, I think now, just a really good vibe uh, and, and, um, and systems. It's really important about having great systems in any business. Uh, and so we've grown from there. And I've always said, because I, I acknowledge people's desires, and I, and I know people have entrepreneurial desires, and I've always said to my staff, you know, if you want your own salon, man, I totally get it. But there's no reason to leave us. Let's open up a second one together. And I, that's exactly how location number two happened. I have the stylist. She was a former teacher. Her name is Lindsay, Lindsay Walker. And she expressed interest in wanting to be a salon owner. And um, part of my kind of kind of my desire is actually to own, own the properties as well. And so actually Lindsay's father and I, Bill, are owners of the building in the second location. 
And so Lindsay and I are owners of the business inside. And that model has really seemed to work out well for us. I'm actually modeling that after also kind of the restaurant industry where chefs are managing partners. And, they, you know, there's always someone, to, the person behind there with the capital and the finances to get it going. Um, and I have always wondered why don't salons or higher end salons use this model? Because I, there's something to be said. I can hire a manager, but nobody's ever going to have as much as someone who's got skin in the game. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I don't need to be 100% owner of all my locations. I'm perfectly all right sharing that. Uh, you know, the way we have it structured is, you know, she, uh, Lindsay didn't have to put up any capital except uh, sweat equity. And over the years, her capital, uh, her percentage of the business grows mm -hmm. uh, until it's 50-50. Um, the one thing I do have in there in our agreement is that uh, each, each separate location pays a management fee, a percentage of sales back to the original location. So it's kind of like I created my own franchise model, really. Yep. Um, you know, for, for using the name and, you know, any help and assistance I do and whatnot. So before we get into more of this, which is incredibly fascinating, honestly, like the, the model that you've talked about for retention, uh, is unique. And, and I want to get to that. You sort of buried this in there. You started business with your, your wife. Uh, that's, that's a tricky dynamic working with your, your spouse in any, you know, function, yes. but, but especially within hair. So talk to us a little bit about what that's been like, like mixing business pleasure. You talked about maybe you do more entrepreneurial. She does more of the styling. What has that dynamic been like? And has it changed much over, you know, the years? No, actually, you know, my wife, Kiri is a fabulous hairdresser as well. She also comes from a family of entrepreneurs. Her mom and dad work together as well. My parents also work together as well. So I think we both knew actually the pitfall. So we knew what we were getting into. And I think the pitfalls lie when you don't have very clear expectations and, and who does what. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it's important that you really kind of define these roles within, this, within the salon and especially for your staff. So we jokingly always say to the staff, I'm management and my wife, Carrie, is the owner, <laughs> right? So... I take care of all, I take, you know, because I work less now behind a chair. My wife still works about almost full time behind a chair. She does her clients. Um, you know, so I take care of a lot of the day-to-day -day operations, accounting, you know, finance, marketing and whatnot. Uh, and we, and of course we have a fabulous front desk staff as well. That helps me I have several amazing people, you know, that really are my right hand people on a lot of these things, but it's, I think the, the issue, the most important issue is to have clear, defined roles. So speaking of clarity in that regard, I mean, you've had opinions and it's, it's been written about the sort of benefits of owning versus renting. Where do you come down on that? Uh, for stylists that are sort of just beginning in the game, uh, they're maybe trying to think about going to the next level within their career. Where are your thoughts there? I mean, you talked about owning your building being important. Why is that so? You know... In the end, it's it's an asset class. You know, commercial real estate is a is an amazing asset class that even when you do decide to uh, or when you no longer want to do hair or you want to retire, you've you've got yourself a fantastic savings nest egg. Um, you know, it is obviously not an easy way to get started, but once you do, and if you're able to kind of pull that trigger and buy it, 
a commercial building, the, the benefits really compound, especially over the years. Um, you know, now when I look at what my mortgage is on the first one, it is really a fraction of what the going rate, uh, commercial space rate is. Uh, the, the commercial space in my areas have literally have, have ballooned uh, in tremendously. Uh, but my mortgage is really, you know, is, is ridiculously cheap compared, compared to it. Um, you know, so I, it's, is, it is definitely an avenue worth exploring if you can get the capital together to move forward. You know, and there's actually multiple ways to get capital. Like in our first purchase, uh, our first salon building, the one where I approached that gentleman, he held a note for us. You know, we struck it. So I, you know, I, and I borrowed the down payment from my mother-in-law. You know, we, we borrowed the down payment from her um, and he held the note for five years. You know, he had um, where we, we could, a, a no refinance clause in there. So he made really great interest off of us on that. Um, so there are ways of making it work. Um, so I would, I would encourage any stylist who is interested in going that route. You know, it's not just about going to the bank. There's plenty of other ways to do it uh, of, of now kind of trying to purchase an asset class. Uh, you know, we're working now on a, trying to secure our third location, you know, and I mean, I'm still needing an, uh, an investor or two to kind of move, to kind of move forward. Incredible. No, I mean, I think that 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 speaks to your experience of being in, you know, other industries, having the entrepreneurial drive that maybe stylists don't think that there are creative ways to do what it is that they want to do versus yeah, the sort sure of traditional. Yeah. And it's and, and a lot of this is all, you know, is about educating yourself, uh, having having confidence in moving forward and not being afraid to ask. You know, I mean, when when I think about how our our life trajectory really kind of uh, took a different, you know, a, a very positive path was just me simply walking up and introducing myself and saying, I'm interested in buying your building. That, I mean, literally, that was, that made all the difference. So if you've got a little bit less entrepreneurial blood running through your veins, but you still want to be your own boss, what are your tips for folks that want to be, you know, salon owners down the road? Um, do not abdicate your responsibility. Uh, especially when it comes to marketing and knowing your numbers, right? I, so often I have hired staff members and we're at where, you know, they were at, they were at another salon and they couldn't get any traction going. Uh, and there was no real marketing game plan from the salon. It was pretty much, you know, post on Instagram. Uh, and a lot of salon owners, unfortunately, abdicate their responsibility to the stylist to build themselves up. Um, I have always said to my staff members, that is 100% my job. It is my job to get seats and butts, um, you know, and I, because I control the message, I control the marketing. I mean, um, you know, so I, I think it's important to not abdicate that responsibility. You wanna be a salon owner, and I'm talking specifically commission salon. Uh, I'm not talking booth rental and I'm not knocking booth rental models. If that works for you, uh, perfect. I'm really talking about, you know, commission employee W2 salon. Um, do not abdicate that responsibility. That is that squarely falls on your shoulders. 
So talk to us, you know, about additional challenges. I mean, 21 years in the industry, being a salon owner, having multiple locations, again, exploring a third, congratulations. What have you experienced along the way that might help, uh, you know, somebody that's just getting started to feel better about maybe sticking it out? Well, some of my best advice I would say to salon owners, brand new, getting started, you know, HR is, is going to be an issue. You want to make sure HR is not going to be easy. Um, and it's more of a reflection on your leadership skills than your employees. Um, once again, you know, that, that your leadership skills have, ha, are going to be shown how well you manage, how well you lead a team, you know, that falls directly on you. I remember we always used to say in the restaurant, you know, don't ever let them see you sweat. I think that is a perfect phrase also for the salon. Right now, half my job is when I'm when I'm educating my staff or working with them or is literally keeping their what they call their anxiety down. Mm-hmm. Right? And I always tell them, yeah, I've always got your back. You're going to be fine. You know, tomorrow the sun will rise. I promise you. Right. But, you know, especially for newer stylists, their level of nervousness and anxiety because of and, and the way I look at it, newer stylists get a bunch of new clients. Right. So they don't know what they're going to walk into. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do a lot of consultation training with them. I do a lot of, you know, question and we do a lot of role playing on how to handle different scenarios and how to keep their anxiety level down to to a controllable area. The m- number one thing uh, any salon owner and stylist can do is to just stay calm. You know, don't let your emotions run wild. So speaking of something that's caused a lot of anxiety, the coronavirus pandemic. I mean, my God, this is something that people didn't see coming. It's upended the industry in a lot of ways um, and has been a test to leadership. I mean, you just talked about the importance of, of strong leadership and sort of steering the ship and helping team members to, to feel supported. Uh, what was that like for you as a salon owner? Um, obviously, different stories around the country, but we want to hear from you. I mean, what was that experience like for you as you things know, were closing down? It was about a year ago today, maybe I think tomorrow, where we were forced to shut down. You know, when we had that um, the shutdown order from Governor DeSantis. Uh, man, I, I remember Lily, I, you know, I knew I was going to be all right. Um, you know, my wife and I are frugal. We've saved a bunch, you know, we don't live above our means. I had at that time, we were, we were under construction for location number two. We had, so we were going through that, we were trying to finish that process. And then of course any, you know, and then we were forced to shut down. Um, we pivoted on a few things. We created color kits to go. We mm-hmm. created a little video about that. We shared that on our social media that it was able to bring us a little bit of capital, just kind of stay engaged. Mm-hmm. You know, I kept in contact with my staff regularly. Um, I, and here, this is where actually relationships really matter. Uh, I think I strengthened my relationship with my staff during that. A lot of them had were really nervous, um, were really anxious. Mm -hmm. Um, there was a lot of fear, uh, the media certainly didn't help any, but there was a lot of fear out there, a lot of the unknown in the, in the early days. Um, so we, you know, we spoke a lot and we, you know, try to keep everyone kind of engaged. And when the, when there was a talk of the first round of PPP, I, I reached out to my banker 
It was a mm-hmm. client of ours, and she was able to, she, we were in that first round. I think like only 6% of people that applied got it in that first round. We were one of them. And, you know, I was able to distribute. I distributed a large chunk of that money. So everyone got a huge lump sum. Um, so, you know, they felt they felt they were going to be able to pay their rent and mortgage and whatnot, and which was a huge burden off relief. Knowing that they were going to be okay made me okay. And then I had also heard uh, that I read somewhere in the paper, local paper, that mm-hmm. our, our, our mayor, Mayor Demings, was putting together a task force on reopening, what reopening businesses would look like in Central Florida. And I reached out to a client of mine who actually works for Mayor Demings and the PR department. Mm-hmm. I texted her. I said, I would love to be on that task force, you know, to get the salon perspective. Um, because I, I mean, I know that, you know, I'm a commissioned salon, but the majority of the people out there are independent contractors. And, you know, most of them didn't reach, didn't get the PPP or didn't know how to apply for it. Uh, and they were, and, you know, they were, they were really struggling. So luckily enough, I was put on that task force. I, you know, I actively participated. And I remembered that first meeting when, you know, they kind of allowed like an open, open forum. I, I pleaded. I said, I said, Mayor Demings, salons are a unique environment because the majority of the people in salons are independent contractors. They are, you know, single parents. They are just, you know, trying. They don't have the resources and or the access that a lot of larger businesses do. And I, I said, we, I implored them. I said, we need to reopen salons and we can do it safely because we are literally the test for licensing. Most of it is on sanitation, right? It, you know, we're tested on sanitation. So it felt, it only felt natural that stylists know what to do for sanitation purposes. That got a conversation started. Mayor Demings reached out to Governor DeSantis, who was open to it. We had a roundtable with Governor DeSantis about reopening salons. Um, so, you know, it, it kind of snowballed from there. You know, it's amazing. I mean, I literally just reached out to a client, wanted to say I want to get involved. Um, and I was. I was kind of putting the spotlight a little bit, which is fine, you know. And I was happy. I was more than happy to be the spokesperson for Florida salons to get us to reopen. Uh, because I know there was a lot of anxiety. My phone was blowing up, not only for, just from my, from my clients, but also from other salon owners that had reached out to me through all the different social media aspects. Uh, you know, and they were they were sharing with me their story, and it was it was one of the same. Everyone was nervous. So, talk to us a little bit about the that process. I mean, you were on the task force. You had given counsel, sort of talked about uh, advocating on behalf of the industry, specifically yourself and other business owners. Florida did reopen sooner than a number of other states. Um, what was that like for you? Um, well, we were closed for seven weeks, and when we reopened, you know, we we, you know, we shared with our clients and our staff what reopening would look like. The first day that salons were allowed to reopen was actually also the first day that our second location opened. You know, in, in a way that was kind of good because the, what I did was I actually transferred several employees from location number one to location number two. So we already, just by doing that, we were social distancing. Uh, you know, we were really kind of packed 
in them the first spot. I mean, that's why the whole reason we needed a second spot. Uh, and so that kind of helped ease, ease the traffic flow uh, inside the building. And, um, you know, it went well. It was, it was a steady climb. Uh, those, I mean, you definitely, I think any stylist will tell you, you definitely had clients that were like, ah, oh, whatever, you know, I, I'm, I need my hair done. I need it now. Um, so we took care of a lot of those clients, but of course we set up hand washing sinks in front of both salons, which are still there, by the way. You know, so we ask clients before they come in to wash their hands, um, you know, mask and all, all the other things that everyone else is doing and all the other sanitation. Uh, it was a steady, steady climb. Um, I can tell you, I am, I would not be in the same position I am today if I lived in a state that was still locked down. That's an, that's an unfortunate truth. I am lucky that I'm in a state that allowed us to reopen. You've sort of described yourself as being a political activist. Uh, do you feel like your political activism stops now or is this just the beginning? Um, I mean, you did sort of succeed in terms of helping to spearhead the, the movement to reopen salons in, in Florida, which is fantastic. And certainly it's benefiting you insofar as you're now gonna be opening this third location. Again, congratulations, that's no small feat in this environment, but, but again, do you think that this is just the beginning of sort of spearheading uh, additional uh, resources, talks, conversations uh, in support of the industry? What are your thoughts there? Um, you know, I, I call, I'm, I'm very pragmatic. I call myself a pragmatic libertarian. Um, you know, I, I, I really do feel like I'm empowering the individual. That's why I so, feel so strongly about kind of licensing. I like to be involved. I like to talk about big things. I like big ideas. Um, you know, when my clients sit in my chair, we usually don't talk about, you know, any uh, the social media gossip. We tend to talk about big picture items, you know, things like that. So I think it just it's my nature to kind of be involved and kind of help steer the ship in what I think is a logical and pragmatic method. Um, so if I do th see areas where um, where would are impacted or would impact the salon or salon, not only salon, but small business community. I feel like it's uh, it's my responsibility to some degree, and it's also my passion to some degree to get involved. Um, I think it's important that salon owners, stylists get involved in giving their voice, even if it's one that's opposed to my opinion, get involved, share, because the truth is always somewhere in the middle. It's interesting you say that um, in terms of the opposing points of view. I mean, it's important to give voice to everybody, um, which is really what a lot of this coronavirus and other things have sort of brought to the surface. There's lots of thoughts and feelings. Um, from your perspective, are there other things that the salon industry ought to correct within itself? I mean, it sounds like um, sort of models, education, licensure, for example, are things that are on your radar. Uh, but talk to us a little bit about that. I mean, as somebody who is a salon owner with all of these years of experience, um, where do you see of areas of improvement? I would absolutely love to see. I don't want to get rid of the beauty schools. I think that's a perfectly viable option for some people, but I don't want them to be the only game in town. I would love to see the the ability for someone to have to use an apprenticeship program somewhere where you you learn on the job, the ability to kind of grow into the tasks and grow as a stylist, um, you know, starting out. So instead of just using a 1,200-hour model that the that state of Florida has, I would love to see some kind of an apprenticeship program uh, be in conjunction. 
I don't want to get rid of the schools. If that's a that's a perfectly viable option and it's mm-hmm. fine, but I don't think it should be the only option. And I would really love to see the larger manufacturers help create an apprenticeship program, uh, a, a training course for someone from taking from point A to point B, where you know they they are an active participant in training someone for the industry. Well, we'll see what's to come. Uh, certainly others feel the same way. Uh, there's lots of changes that are happening with the industry space. And so, you know, maybe this will, you know, because of folks like yourself that are voicing this, this feeling, um, we'll see some of this materialize uh, yet to be seen, but, but, you know, bigger things are, are shifting here. So could I be, a- believe, I believe the state of Georgia actually has something similar to it mm-hmm. where, you know, you, you, anyone can be, it, it's, it's, I don't think they rely on hours. Now, I'm not overly educated, in it, but I do believe that the state of Florida, I mean, excuse me, the state of Georgia has this kind of apprenticeship model. And last time I checked, Van Michaels is killing it in Atlanta, you know, and so I don't see why this can't be a nationwide approach. For sure. Food for thought. And we'll link to what you're referring to in the show notes to, to have people that are curious or maybe don't know, uh, like myself, uh, where to go to find out about Georgia, for example. Cool. Well, Mike, we're almost wrapped here, but we've got a few questions we ask of literally every single guest because it's been a pleasure, but we feel like this is a good way for somebody to really get to know you. The first of our quick takes, we ask of everybody, it's a little bit weird, but it helps us to get going, is bar soap or body wash? I am whatever my wife brings home, but it's, <laughs> but she, I won't use her, her certain products. She even, she hides, actually my wife has to hide her products. I have a teenage daughter and for some reason, you know, the products, and it's not like we're giving her cheap products, right? She gets Kevin Murphy, but for some reason, my daughter, I think it's like this power struggle. Oh, for sure. Days, she loves to just take my wife's products. Lately, I've been using a bar or so. <laughs> Feel that related to the products. I mean, our listeners are certainly product obsessed. We often are, myself, Kelly, my co-host. Is there a specific product that you are especially into these days? Grooming, hair, otherwise? You know, there's three things when I'm behind the chair that I cannot live without. That I absolutely, I feel like I'm all thumbs if I don't have them. The first one is my Ibiza B7 brush. Right, which is the blonde boar bristle brush. It's an extended. I am on this mission to get everyone in my salon to use these to use this brush compared to their traditional metal, you know, nylon brush. This Ibiza brush is everything, and then so, and I am retailing these things now because everybody wants one, and they're not cheap. You know, like 70, 80 bucks. I forget what they cost, but they're fantastic brushes. And I've had my Ibiza B7, I think now for about 13 years, the original brush, it's still in great shape and it's, it's fantastic. So that's one. Damn. Yeah. That thing is, is awesome. <laughs> All right. Um, two, two, my gamma dryer. As, this is a new dryer out there. Uh, the gamma, it's like under a pound. Mm-hmm. This thing is powerful. Super sleek. Yeah. Super sleek. Uh, I've sold them. I've now retailed them to clients because they are so lightweight. Uh, they're definitely not on the cheap side, but my gamma dryer is definitely a game changer. 
um, because it is a little bit more quiet. I tried a Dyson dryer, but I really like to use the nozzle to flick the hair back and forth. And you just can't do that with a Dyson dryer, but you can with this gamma dryer. So that is definitely um, number, two, number two. And I've been really loving Orbe Imperial Blowout. They just reformulated it. Uh, made it a little bit slightly different. I think actually a little bit more user-friendly, uh, more <laughs> user-friendly for the client versus the stylist. And it, it gives you just a beautiful end result, great blowout. So Imperial Blowout by Orbe is, is really high on my list. Another just, you know, go-to product for almost everybody. So those are my three. And if I don't have those three, I really feel like I'm kind of just all thumbs. Well, everybody's going to be looking for those things now. So hopefully they don't sell out, but you got your, your brush. You're good for a while. <laughs> yeah. It's not going anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> 13 years. That's crazy. That's, that's the plug. Yeah. It's awesome. All right. What are you streaming right now? Coronavirus, all sorts of stuff. I mean, you're opening a third location, so you're maybe not streaming something, but lots of people are. So if you were, what was it last? Man, I, I tell you, you know, I really don't do a lot of TV. I, I, I stream a lot of podcasts. Okay. What do you listen to? Um, you know, one of I love anything revisionist history. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell, anything about, that he produces, Malcolm Gladwell is all. I mean, that's the stuff I talk to my clients about. I listen to a revisionist history podcast, and you're always blown away with every story. And it's, you know, that conversation to me is always so much more interesting than talking about some celebrity. Uh, so revisionist history is is a must, um, you know, to just to kind of broaden the perspective. And lately, I've been I've been loving Prof G. He is a prof, uh, Professor Galloway. He's got a brand new podcast out. It's a little bit more on the finance, economics kind of trend. Uh, I love his vibe. Uh, you know, he's he he puts out a good vibe and he gives you great content. This is probably not something that. Uh, most stylists would really kind of appreciate, but I, I kind of do love it. You know, like I was listening to him this morning. It was about, you know, cryptocurrency and some other things. Uh, I'm just literally just trying to understand it. Um, so I do yeah. love learning. And so he always just teaches me. Related to that, you've got quite a back in yourself in terms of teaching and mentoring and sort of shaping people's careers. What is your advice for somebody who's just getting started or wants to take it to the next level within the industry? Um, you know, I think there was one thing that I did years ago that is now paying dividends. I joined Toastmasters. Mm -hmm. right, years ago, right out of high school, I had a, a friend of the family. His name was Sam Bertizlian, and he was a financial advisor. And he said, Mike, why don't you come join Toastmasters for me? And for anyone that doesn't know, Toastmasters teaches public, public speaking, public communication skills. And I went, I became hooked, and every meeting, we're still doing meetings now, we're just doing them via Zoom until we can all get back in, in, the, in kind of in the classroom setting. But every meeting, I learn something new. I, there's always a great takeaway. I'm always, you laugh a lot. Um, and it's like this perfect combination of education and entertainment. And it just really kind of speaks to me. So I would say the ability to effectively communicate in our industry is vital, especially when you're doing a consultation 
or when you're talking to an employee and trying to keep them calm, kind of just stay, you know, the ability to, to articulate your thoughts and feelings clearly is really, really a foundation for success. And I would couple that with, you know, become, become really proficient at your, at your job, at your skill set. Um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a skill that can be improved upon. And the beauty of, indus of the uh, industry is it's always changing. You can make those changes. You know, you, you know it, it is so creative in that you can take it to multiple levels. Uh, and you can let your creativity go, but really focus on your, the quality of your work. I think now, it, I, you know, it's always, people are always amazed when they know how much stylists, you know, my stylists are making, you know, and they make a great living. And, you know, they work four days a week. And it's, and it's you know, it's that combination of, you know, having a really fine-tuned skill set with, with communication skills that can really propel you in, in this career. Speaking of careers. And your stylist, for example, having success. What are your predictions for 2021? I mean, the worst of the pandemic seems to hopefully be over. What are you hopeful for for this year and for for the future? Um, you know, the first thing I've learned is never make a prediction. I have no <laughs> idea. So I'm not going to open up open up mouth and insert foot. Uh, I would tell you what 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 it looks like for me. I mean, we're we're doing well. We're going to continue, uh, you know, trying to be humble, uh, trying to keep growing. I'm going to continue to try to hire young talent. Uh, I'm going to be on a hiring spree here uh, soon enough. Uh, cultivate new talent. Cult cultivate that next level stylist who wants their who wants it perhaps their own salon. Uh, you know, I can only really take care of what I can take care of. Um, one thing I do remember from the recession from years ago was that actually we did a price increase during that whole financial bubble disaster about what 10, 12 years ago. We actually had a price increase, my wife and I. Um, and the salon, excuse me, the salon industry is actually pretty recession proof. It is really recession proof in my experience looking back. Um, if you put out a great product, if you really kind of define your market well, um, you know, we, and you know who your client is, and you and you feel like you're authentic to them. I think you're going to be okay uh, moving forward. I I expect just more of the same, uh, more growth from us. Um, you know, we'll see. We'll get location number three up and running. Uh, maybe do one or two more before I cash it all in, and uh, travel the world. Amazing. Well, Mike, it's been an absolute pleasure. We really, really enjoyed talking with you. We know that our audience is going to benefit from hearing from your perspective, your background. Uh, so thanks. All right. So I loved hearing Mike's perspective, right? As a salon owner and just the interesting models that he's been able to help others with. I also love um, that they are a husband and wife duo, Mike and Curie both being stylists themselves mm -hmm. and how they initially realized their dream of opening their salon. So they're doing great things for our industry. This interview was a great one. Hell yeah. No, Mike is a terribly interesting guy. Loved talking with him. Interesting things to say about what he's up to uh, and what we ought to consider if you're in Florida or elsewhere. All right, be sure to hit subscribe, rate and review and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube and TikTok at Read the Tease and send in questions to volume up at thetease.com. Volume Up is a Tease Media production. This episode was produced by Monica Hickey and Stephen Jackson. 
Thank you to our creative team for putting together the graphics for this episode, and to Josh Landowski for editing so you can watch and listen on YouTube.